Welcome to Veil After Dark Podcast. Veil. Veil. We have a very special guest with us today, Mr. Or actually, Dr. John Diversa, who is a wor- world-renowned musician yes. and three-time Grammy Award-winning artist. So, yay, we're happy What's, to have you here. Do you have anything to say before we, we have some we have some questions for you, if that's okay? <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> you Do go you have anything it. ready? I'm still pulling this off. Oh, okay. Um, so, I'm, I'm not a jazz musician in any way i'm a classically trained violinist so the world of jazz is kind of um out of my out of my sphere but can you explain to me what jazz fusion is in your in your own words and the kind of work that you've done in jazz fusion well uh it it, you know there's a more jazz history way to look at it and then there's a more larger perspective to way way to look at it perhaps mm-hmm. um, I think most people would define jazz fusion as something that happened in the late 60s okay. uh, where a lot of jazz musicians were starting to incorporate sounds and instruments that were used in rock and blues and pop even okay. uh, of the of the late 60s yeah and were really influenced by Jimi Hendrix and even mm-hmm. Bob Dylan and the Beatles mm-hmm. and the Doors and, mm-hmm. you know, all of these sounds. And a lot of musicians were were combining these sounds, but the one that uh, really brought it to the attention to the masses was Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. And he started doing that uh, even be- beginning on records like In a Silent Way, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, where he had the the Fender Rhodes, he had, you know, three different keyboard players. He had uh, Joe Zawinul and and Herbie Hancock and uh, uh, who else was on that? I can't remember. You know, eventually he had Keith Jarrett and... and, uh, Didn't he have a check? And Chick Corea. So, uh, and then, but the the culminating uh, project of Jazz Fusion is probably best known as uh, Bitches Brew. Mm-hmm. Which came out in '69, I think. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. And he, you know, they would go in and just, uh, you know, try out all these different grooves, and he had a vision for, mm-hmm. you know, how to improvise over these rock grooves and and you know, uh, you know, electric sounds. And he was playing the trumpet through a wah wah pedal like a guitar would, mm-hmm. and and with the roads. And <clears throat> I, I remember seeing uh, Herbie Hancock being interviewed about it, and he was saying, "Yeah, you know, we went to." The studio in New York, and there was this electric keyboard, like this toy mm-hmm. piano there. And Miles said, "Play that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he said, "Okay, we'll see what that is." Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. But you know, I, I see it. I mean, fusion is like uh, it's just anything. You, any of those ele- outside elements that are aside, you just incorporating those. Yeah, it's combining all those things. But that's really you know the the the, the watered origin. down version of that. Yeah. Well, no, the the origin of, of jazz is really, you know, a combination of a lot of different cultures coming together, even, mm-hmm. you know, at the turn of the century and, you know, the 19-teens and the 20s, that was all the Creole musicians, that yeah. was all the Spanish and the European folks coming in, that was all the African influence yeah. from the slaves that were brought over, mm-hmm. um, that was... Uh, you know, and eventually, like all the instruments from the Civil War that were there, mm-hmm. and so they were playing. It's really a music of freedom, of course. Yep. Um, but all of these influences from classical piano music to, uh, you know, marching band music, and uh, and the swing music, it all came mm-hmm. together, and it's okay. a fusion <laughs> yeah. of all these different cultures and influences. So it's, 
I think, a music that's always had that tendency yeah. to follow what the current trends are and what the pop mm-hmm. trends are mm-hmm. and then improvise on top of it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Um, not to keep talking about music and jazz specifically, but um, I, I have a presentation on Polonius Monk. And do you, I'm sure you have your own kind of opinion and like outlook on, on what his style like meant for jazz. But um, personally, my, I've always, since I was a kid, that's been music that was played in my house. and. Mm-hmm. And I've always like I always thought Monk had one of the most well not maybe not technical approaches to music, but very much it seemed like um, genuine and and real. You know how how he expressed uh, expressed himself was very much like at the cutting edge of the the late fifties and sixties. Uh, what do you think? I agree. <laughs> I uh, you know I think there are artists. I was just talking about this in a class wh- where I was and. I think there are artists that, you know, not to generalize, but come from two different ilks, and they're they're musicians like uh, like Brahms that came mm-hmm. after Beethoven, and just took what Beethoven did and just polished it and took it to its completion. Mm-hmm. You know, took that that stopwatch and took all the gears apart and refined them so they worked just a little bit better and shined the glass on the front and made the hands, you know, just turn a little bit more efficiently and perfected it in a way. Not that you can perfect anything, but mastered it. I guess that's a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are musicians like Monk that takes the stopwatch and, sit and just like takes all the pieces apart and throws them all over the room and says, you know, can we make like a... Can we make like a car out of this thing? And they put all the pieces back together and it looks like a fish, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's like, you know, you never thought about that. And then somebody from the, the Brahms school will take what Monk did and like completely refine it and master it. You know, so it's like on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's interesting how like people try to, try to play Monk and they never really... I know, sometimes people don't get the point of like Monk's music. It's just it's not really about like he wasn't copying anyone when he made his when he had his style. I mean he had influences, but absolutely a, a lot of it was very much him just re- kind of mm-hmm. reinventing um, improvisation. Whether it was like I said before, whether it was the most technical or not. But as I understand, you know his best buddy was Bud Powell. You know they were they were really kindred spirits and you know bud powell played completely different than monk and and they and they Mm -hmm. both came from the same influences so you know they both i think you know great artists really encourage the other artists to to be who they are and uh and be fresh and be in the moment and and be innovative and and masterful both all at the same time Mm -hmm. and this kind of brings me on to my next question so how do you how do you feel that personality i mean it kind of it's probably pretty obvious that it does, but how do you personally, do you have any experience where like personality really affected how music was, the performer played their music or like how they recorded or wrote music? Do you, do you have an example of where that kind of sticks out where you, you definitely saw someone with a strong personality and, and saw that seep into their music and at least kind of analyze it in that way? Well, I think that's the case with everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you, you are how you play and you play how you are. And you can have a conversation with someone and know exactly how they're going to play. You know, you can play a board game with someone and know exactly how they're going to interact in an ensemble. Uh, You can see how people react to adversity and understand exactly how they're going to play. You can... (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it's 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 all it goes all right in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about someone like uh, you know, you mentioned a strong personality, you know, like uh, you know, Monk's a good example, or Jaco Pastorius, or yeah. Charlie Mingus, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think about Jaco, and you know, especially in his earlier years, uh, he was just so wonderfully confident about what he knew he had to bring to music into the world mm-hmm. and nothing was going to stop him you know and but you can also tell in the way that he plays and played that it was in service of the music you know it wasn't you can see it as being like an ego thing but i really see him as serving the music you know he heard the music a certain way and it was uncompromising and for that he was fearless so as a well-seasoned musician is it easy for you to tell when um, musicianship or performances are fueled by ego rather than the true want to make music can you tell that difference sometimes i can feel it in conversation i can, can feel, feel it, in, it in a board game i can feel yeah, it that's on the bandstand yeah. it's all the same thing and we all we all go through that i mean the ego is such a important part of just being a human being if we didn't have an ego we wouldn't get up in the morning you know, the ego says, you know, you need to get up and do something today. And, mm-hmm. and so it's just a matter of getting it in check. And, uh, mm-hmm. and the ego is just maybe the way that I think about it is the mind. And so the mind is an incredible tool, uh, an incredibly, infinitely powerful tool, but it is a tool. Mm-hmm. And so we just need to call upon it whenever we need to calculate 73 times 143, right. you know? But it can't be the guiding system. The GPS needs to be the heart. And so when the mind or the ego understands that the heart is not in play, then it knows it has to, okay, I got to do something. I got I to gotta steer the ship because nobody else is. Mm-hmm. But when the heart can have the confidence to tell the mind, hey, Thank you for calculating 73 times whatever. Mm-hmm. When I need to do that, I'll call upon you. Thank you so much. But you can actually rest right now because I'm going to make decisions. Then everything works well. Then you can have some really beautiful conversations. Then you can have some really fun board games. And mm-hmm. then you can have some great performances and creation of art. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> that was really good. So, never thought of it that way. Um, so the, I guess this kind of ties into it. So... When when you you were just saying how when, when it all comes together it's sort of the mind body you know separation, um, do you think spirituality has a positive or negative impact on on performing and, and writing with music? Define spirituality. <laughs> I guess. What does that What does that mean in your question? I, I think I mean I just I just looked at. Like when I think of that, I think of people like John Coltrane, who are very—I guess you could call them Buddhist—but um, very sort of uni- embraced universal spirituality um, in in the '60s. And I think there were probably some other artists that did the same thing at the time. And I think that it, it just had a, a really unique sound. Like they they all had their own style, but it's almost like that the idea of universal spirituality kind of almost like designed how they were going to do their music before they even knew that what they were going to do so it's do you think spirituality can almost be like a blueprint for for kind of what you're going to write and it could tying back to the the whole personality thing Hmm. well i think everyone's uh journey path through spirituality is just 
seeking purity of source. And if that comes through the music in seeking purity in the creation, you know, honesty as it relates to purity, genuineness, being authentic mm -hmm. with what the expression is, may it be an expression of love, may it be an expression of pain, may it be an expression of joy, may it be an expression of uh, difficulties, adversity, or bliss, if that is honestly and fearlessly represented as you would uh, as you would pursue your path of spirituality then yes it's completely parallel interesting i feel like that i think that that's definitely a, a part of being a musician is allowing yourself to like hone in on i mean not everyone is spiritual so that's you know that's one hot take on it but what is spirituality to you then i feel like i believe in energy i believe in like that's you know, not spiritual well, no, well, well, is that, I mean, not everyone is spiritual. I am, but mm -hmm. like, I feel like, I don't know. I've seen a lot of, I've seen, I've watched many of my peers in their mu music making throughout the years. And I've seen them execute works like, I'm not going to name names, but like, I've seen them execute works differently based off of their mindset. And I could see, I couldn't see, like, obviously I don't know what's going through their head when I see them and I can see that they're in a like a certain demeanor, their music reflects that demeanor usually more mm -hmm. times than not. And I feel like it's placing intent into where you play, like place yourself in that moment so that you can like obviously serve yourself and make good music, but also like put out a good product. I think that that's always kind of the goal. But anyway. Yeah, that's... I see. I don't know. For me, it, it just seems like sometimes I when I'm writing sometimes I get it's not all the time but it's like sometimes I'm if I'm in the right headspace I could sort of get inspiration from something that I didn't knew, know I could get inspiration from and it's and I'm not very spiritual I kind of wish I was but sometimes I feel like I can like sort of access that where it's like there's this kind of universal like awareness that makes it easier to write and makes it easier to just kind of, like, I don't know if it has anything to do with the ego, but it just makes it easier to have the, the best quality music without the ego getting in the way or without mm -hmm. sort of, you know, like any kind of rumination or, or you know, static getting in the way. It's like a really clear image of what what the music should have been or what the music has always been. And it's, it's hard to get that, but like, do you have any, has that ever been the case for your writing or your um, compositions? Well, there's a lot there. There's a <laughs> lot there. Uh, you know, it's it's always a, a matter of eliminating clutter in the mind, you know, and, and really getting to what the thoughts behind 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 the thoughts are. And and that's part of that purity. Sound uh, of one, ha uh, one hand clapping. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and I think it's really a, a balance of, of the mind and the heart, like I'm saying, because you need that intellectualism for it's that's part of the method, that's part of the the structure that things sit upon. It's the grid. And then I always like the analogy of, of the paint and the wall because mm -hmm. that that grid, that method, that cognitive system is the wall <laughs> that just is sturdy and it stands there and you can count on it and it's but it's not necessarily all that artful it's just a wall 
that has that purpose. It has that role. And then the paint is is the the, the creative, the, the imagination, the the innovation, the the unknown, right? The the thing that you can't control. And that's also an important, you know, it's half of the equation. And so you, if you throw the paint without the wall, it was beautiful, but no one, you can't catch it. Mm. You know, you can't, to, to be able to admire it. Um, and if the wall's there, it's just a wall. So if the wall's there and then the paint goes on the wall as you throw it, then you have something that's actually manifested in 3D. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to have a balance of the intuitive and the cognitive and have an awareness when you're creating of which one needs more help. You know, and there are exercises wow. to to work on intuitive practices mm-hmm. and there are exercises to work on cognitive exercises. And I think a trap sometimes is thinking that, oh, uh, you know, I'm not creative enough or innovative enough, so I need to throw away all my other stuff and just focus on this intuitive stuff. No, it's just a matter of uh, matching the level of cognitive practice that you have and then vice versa. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, hmm. So do you you practice that within the way you work? Like, is that how you work? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I will, you know, and, and the practice, there, there are certainly practical things that you can do that focus on one thing or the other. Sure. Sure. Um, but it really boils down to having an awareness of it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you feel like something's not working, then, then the, you yeah. know, how can you find the tools to be able to dip into one side or the other to bring yourself back up? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And do you think that, I, I like the wall and the, the paint um, metaphor. Do you think that's more... So, like, you sort of generally, do you think the art, like, sort of the experience, the universal experience of humanity, do you think that's something that's sort of beyond reach unless you're an artist and you can sort of get in the moment and, like, almost accept the paint on your wall and and sort of engage with it and make it, you know, make it meaningful to you and, and sort of put it in words? Is that is that kind of what you're referring to? I think that we as human beings are here to have a, an experience. And I think that we create almost like a hologram. We create our own experience as we want to experience it, mm-hmm. which is kind of a hard thing to, to get a grip of because you think about all the hardships and the difficulties and you know some really, really tough things that come up in people's lives, right? And to think that we create that for ourselves to experience why would you ever want to experience pain? Why would you ever want to experience loss? Why would you ever want to experience disease? Um, but I think that, you know, the, the deeper the challenges are, you know, think about it like this, the deeper your capacity to feel and show compassion is completely reciprocal to your ability to feel the pain involved mm-hmm. with that compassion. Mm-hmm. So you may be here in this human experience to actually experience that because you want to be able to feel the compassion mm-hmm. and, or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, and you could see that with so many different other examples, right? And so I, you know, I have the, the understanding that everything is all one, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, that everything's made of energy, everything's vibrating, 
and we have this wonderful illusion that, that we're separate, and so that we can experience each other mm-hmm. as as individuals to individuate. And we love that. We want to be experienced as individuals because it makes us feel important. And we are important, but we're yeah. fairly insignificant in the yeah. big scheme of things. And, and the gift of that is that we get to have the experience. And we Not have only consciousness. We have all these awesome yes, things. Yes, yes. Uh, so we so we give that to ourselves and we give that to each other. Um, otherwise, we would never be able to under. It would just be an intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. You know what is what is pain? Well, it's it's this, and we'll define it like this. But you have to experience in the body, in this plane, mm-hmm. in this three D, mm-hmm. to actually know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's weird because, I mean, pain it, in a sense could be an illusion to some people because. Mm-hmm. It's not a really, I mean, it kind of is a physical reaction to, into your brain firing, but uh, like, I, I don't know if this is some like scientifically proven, but I know that like some people, um, at least some like monks and some like really hardcore sort of, I don't know what you'd call them, but they'd like, you know, hike in the Arctic and not wear anything. They just, they wouldn't be cold because they would t- train their body to not react to the cold unless, like, I mean, obviously they would, uh, you know, get warm once it was like, dangerous for them to be out there but i've sort of experienced that myself where i've been in the cold like a cold shower and just tried to like completely focus on my thoughts and not not engage with anything that's telling me i'm cold and just kind of focus on existing in in my body without you know shivering and stuff but do you think that it's, it's it's just interesting like do you think a lot of a lot of music can be sort of like you, you were saying how powerful the mind is. Do you think a lot of, in, in the music sense, do you think you could kind of shape your your perception of the world around music, and do you think that could sort of enhance things? Ooh. Well, I mean, music is, you know, an incredibly powerful vehicle to express anything. And it's, um, if it has lyrics or not, it has the ability to give you uh, an intrinsic visceral feeling about an experience, mm-hmm. right? And it, and it, and it, you know, and with the uh, invention of recording, you know, then then you can take this one recording and it somehow encapsulated this moment that you can repeat mm-hmm. <laughs> the experience, and that can go to an infinite, you know, amount of of, uh, of plays around the world, or you know, across the universe, even, right? Um, so it's it's uh it's something that I think about a lot actually because I think about the music and the albums that I make. Um, there was a certain point where I realized that you know I love music and I just try to make things that sound good to me. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point I thought, okay, it's it's actually quite the responsibility to be intentional about the music that I make, and that it is going to go out, you know, and circle around the globe mm-hmm. and create a groove. Mm-hmm that creates a certain frequency, you know, any kind of repeating pattern creates a frequency. So, so let me be conscious and aware and intentional about what that intention is. And I'm not saying it has to be a, a judgment of positive or negative. It just needs to be intentional. Maybe I want to put out something that expresses, uh, you know, pain or uh, expresses bliss or whatever it is, but I don't want to be blind about what I'm just throwing out there. At what point for you did you find that you needed that intention like in your work like what 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 was that point for you within your your musical journey were you in were you in grad school mm. were you in your degree when did did you always start out as jazz as well that's another question were you classically trained and then 
moved into the world of jazz? What what did that look like for you? Uh, it was always everything all at once. Yeah, um, yeah. But definitely a you know a, a focus and an inclination toward uh, uh, jazz, the jazz genre. But yeah. I love rock and I love classical. Mm-hmm. I mean, I started playing. Uh, you know, piano and voice and trombone and clarinet, and then finally Lovers. went to the trumpet. Yeah. Um, but my mom was a classical, came from a classical musician side, but she also loved R and B and and Willie Nelson and mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and Beethoven and, and Chopin. And my dad came from more of a you know kind of uh, swing era thing, and mm-hmm. also jazz for sure. So all of that stuff was in the house. That's awesome. Um, so in terms of the intention, though, I think, I think that that was – my awareness of that was more recent, probably within the last 10 years. Really? Yeah. Yeah, before that, it was always, you know, just – I just love music. And, and, and you're allowed to have that, but it's good to have that transition into a more mature kind of like, what do I really want to – yeah, and nothing's really changed. It's just more of a focus and just, yep. again, just, like just having an awareness of what I'm doing. Yep. Sometimes I'll make music just because it sounds good and I'll have an awareness of that yep, yep. and embrace that mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yep. and know what, I, you know, know what the, the mission and the purpose is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, find, I find that a lot. Like whenever I make anything, whether, whether it's like I'll just like make a loop or make like whatever, make something in, <clears throat> in GarageBand, It'll it, nine times out of ten it'll just be work for work's sake, and I just enjoyed it. Mm. But it is hard yeah. to take that extra step and be like, okay, what do I actually want this to sound like? What do I want the What do I want these people to hear? It's mm. interesting take on that. Mm-hmm. Do you Do you think your perception, like, okay, so I've I've some questions about this kind of weird thing, but where is is it is it normal? I mean, is, is, I think was it synesthesia where you have. Um, where I think it's like a more direct version of it is where you see when someone plays a note, you see a, a color correspond yeah. or to numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's I think some kind of separate to what I'm thinking about, where um, where music can sort of not necessarily the notes are triggering colors, but the music as a whole is. I mean, it, it, it's what it's designed to do, but the music as a whole sort of painting a picture. Do you do you think that? you've had um your perception and like have you been able to sort of see with your ears in a sense with music because i've since i was a kid i've always like for me i i I like movies but for me music was easier to easier than reading and easier than watching a movie because i could use my ears and sort of paint the picture of what i wanted Mm. and and that's how it worked for me but is that is that similar to you well i you know music music has never let me down you know, since I can remember in this body, you know, it, music was the thing that just gave me goosebumps, you know. You know, I remember listening to Earth, Wind & Fire, mm-hmm. you know, and it just like the the mm-hmm. feeling, like I can feel it now, like it just takes over my whole body. It just gives me so much ecstasy, feeling that groove and, and, and the way everything's just humming. Uh, so, you know, no matter what else is going in my, on in my life, you know, music is always there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always there. It's just been this rock. So in, in that sense, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy my other senses, too. You know, I mm-hmm. love, I, I think I'm very visual, too. And, and, and actually scent, like I can smell things, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it triggers nostalgia. And, it, mm-hmm. uh, and you can, like, feel into a circumstance or a room or a person like in a, in a smell, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, 
So, you know, I, I definitely am touching. You can say the thing that same way or, or the taste of something is like, oh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 11 years old, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd say, yes, music is just the thing that, uh, that's just always there for me. You know, when, it, when I, even when you get to a, a low frequency point where, you know, you fall into old patterns and you're kind mm-hmm. of in a depressive state, I can turn to music and it lifts me. Not sometimes, but every, every time. time. Yeah. Agreed. Wow. Agreed 100%. So this is sort of a, a, seg- a different, different type of question. So how do you think the world has still been changed, has, has changed and is still changing after COVID-19? The world or the music world? I, I think just, I mean, you can focus on the music world if you want, but I think more in terms of like people's behaviors, people's, interactions do you think that's been a huge change yeah um yeah you know for for the younger generations i see it's it's also technology along with uh Mm -hmm. the isolation of covid Mm -hmm. um you know but i i wonder sometimes if it's really you know, COVID en- enabled us to be more dependent on technology. And mm-hmm. so, you know, communication and and how we interact with each other as a society feels a lot more awkward. Uh, yeah. I, I feel that from, from the younger generation. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the way, and but then also the, you know, anybody feels like they can con- contact anybody through Instagram and be their, you know, be their best friend. There's no... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's which I think is a good thing. Like it's it's kind of uh, gotten away from hierarchy values. Mm-hmm. Um, like anybody can be anybody. Yeah. yeah. However, it stays there, kind of through a screen, and and there's not a willingness, or maybe even not even a, I'm, and and understand I'm speaking very generally here. Right. Not even a curiosity to really know the other person. Behind the thoughts, behind the thoughts, behind the thoughts, behind the thoughts. Yeah. It's just on the kind of on the surface and what I need from you. Yeah, a lot of times, it's like sometimes I'll have friends that all they do is like just recite TikToks. And it's like not, mm. I mean, it's fine. Like sometimes when I watch the show or I read a book a lot, I like all I do is talk about it. But it's like it seems like the sources of people's information, like the source of people's media consumption is like getting It's because qual- it's a like trend, too. Quality. You yeah. have to keep in mind that everything is a trend and like... What you were literally just saying, I feel like going off of that, you know, technology and, 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 you know, the influence of that after COVID, our attention spans are shorter. Oh, my goodness. And, it's, and it shows. It shows yeah. academically. It shows, you know, in the mental health world. It shows on personal levels. People are struggling. But TikTok is a f- key source of that problem. And we talked about that in our last podcast, actually. Mm, yeah. It's... um. It's a struggle, but also, like, what a tool TikTok is to get music out there. Yes. And it's like, you know, where do we find that fine line of, like, keeping it healthy, keeping it productive without, you know, taking it, just using it as a dopamine thing just to, you know, satisfy our whatever. It almost, you know, though, you know, it almost feels like, you know, TikTok, I don't have a TikTok account. Um, I tried it and I actually, like, it's funny, I'm just old enough, maybe, I don't know, where I just can't, I can't even understand it, you know? you know, Instagram is about as far as I can go. And like, I get in and then I get out as fast as I can. Yep. But I can, un- I almost see it as a, like an entity on its own. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's its own energy field. 
and you have to be <laughs> you have that. to be so and it is an, a tremendous tool but if you don't see it as an entity um, and you're not vibrating if you will on on higher than it is to, in other words to just have the perspective just just see it for what it is mm-hmm. then you get sucked into this lower frequency place of vibrating yeah um yeah. and and then and then you lose yourself because you you're entrained into this other yeah. thing yeah yeah part so of, it's, part you have to be careful and many people lose their identity through that or like have a sense of self like issue yeah and it, and it's tough too because then you see all the incredible things that everybody else is doing because everybody Comparison. else is showing their yeah. their best face to the to the rest of the world mm-hmm. and we're not seeing the thoughts behind the thoughts behind the thoughts behind the thoughts yep. Um, and so that that can create depression, and you know th- things, that's the surface yeah. part of it. Mm-hmm. So it's important not to compare, as you say, to what everybody else is doing, and just look at it and say, "Oh, how interesting that they're doing that," and that, and, and, great, leave it at that. and, and celebrate them too, yeah. with the spirit that every everything is one. Yep. So when they succeed, you succeed too, mm-hmm. and you know it just means you're next. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> that's the best yeah. way to look at it. I remember seeing a an old. You know, you know who Barbara Walters is. She's like a, an old. Uh, I mean, she she was a journalist. Uh, you know, and she had a career from the '60s through. Probably, she's on The View. There was a TV oh, show okay. called The yeah. View for a while. Oh, yeah. Is she a new journalist or like part of the new journalism movement? I don't know how that's categorized, but perhaps. <laughs> you know, but uh, but she used to do these specials. You know, she interviewed uh, comedian Jerry Seinfeld. So you know, Jerry Seinfeld. He just passed recently, unfortunately. Jerry Seinfeld. Seinfeld or wait, Seinfeld. Wait, is he the one who did like the 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 TV show TV show with like the cheating? Like they they, they would have arguments. Well, there's a what? TV show called Seinfeld. Yeah. Oh no, wait, no, never mind. Not yeah. Seinfeld. Not Seinfeld. Never mind. Okay. Go, no, we're well, good. anyway, you know, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> had this huge. It was the most popular show in mm-hmm. the in like the 90s, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she interviewed him, and and he he said, "I'm just bringing this this up because he said, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, right now I'm on top of the Ferris wheel, but I know what's coming next. <laughs> you know, because it's just you know sometimes yeah. you're at the bottom and then you go up and then you go down and then you yeah. go up. And it's like, yeah, yeah right on. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's a very, everything is sort of complicated Compliments itself. Seinfeld's so good. Equal reaction to the, I don't know. That it, it, it sometimes it makes me a little bit more confident with myself, and or just you know more comfortable in life. But also, it's it's really interesting to to know that that's sort of how things go. And and it's like when you look back in your life, you could sort of see different examples of it, where you were you felt like things weren't gonna you know speed up or where things mm-hmm. weren't gonna get better, and then it it does, and then you're like wow things actually did get better and then they get worse and then it's just like pain demands to be felt i think i read that somewhere and each time as you feel more pain the good times are that much better and it's like and as long as you can get through the bad times yeah and and as much as you do your work to feel into those bad times you know to really go through and do that work do that catharsis that opens up the Mm -hmm. other side Mm mm-hmm you just got to feel it. You just got to feel it. Allow mm-hmm. it to happen, and then it's through. Yes. <laughs> Music is a very good catharsis. It is. Truly. I don't know if you have any jazz questions. Do you have any more jazz questions? <laughs> jazz <laughs> uh, I mean, I was going to ask about if you could, like, if there's a way to, I mean, and this is back to, you know, perf- uh, personality affecting performance, but do you think that it, the way we... I mean, our our current study of uh, like our current form of psychiatry and and maybe th- you know, psycho like it's it's a little it's a little broken. But do you think you can sort of apply that to music in a sense where you have performers 
Um, you could almost like psychoanalyze their performance and have that be a way of analyzing like what they need to fix or like what they need to like not maybe not fix but just emphasize more like as a person are you saying like music is therapy like music as like a like a like they analyze your playing and they from that they can take and like 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 dissect yeah almost yeah almost like like talking isn't really a good way of expressing who you are or like if you're a musician then playing your music is probably a better like more clear way of of demonstrating who you are it depends on maybe the the level of musicianship but do you think that could i don't know that was just an interesting thought i had Uh, from my experience i would say again that whatever someone's mental state is whatever anyone's heart state is what anyone's spiritual state is will be this would be perfectly uh, expressed in their music. So yes, <laughs> um, and and then the you know and and you know almost contradicting what I just said, I'd also say that sometimes, uh, you know, I know musicians that are like real a holes, you know, <laughs> in in you know how they are, but then when they play music, there's a you 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 kind of get to the essence of their real soul, mm-hmm. and so they 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 refine that to something that's more pure, mm-hmm. and so you actually see who they really are, mm-hmm. and in their day to day life, you know they're dealing with some some other stuff that express themselves uh, differently that that don't mm-hmm. find their way into the music, but mm-hmm. even so, you still see the little hints. Mm-hmm you know, in the music somehow. Yeah. There's really no difference how I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that would be a good form of therapy. Like if you just, like like music therapists and things like that, like that would be a cool, I never thought yeah. of that. I, I, yeah, but then the ther- the therapist would also have to be a musician and it depends, like you couldn't, I don't think you could right. just perform right. like a, a Bach prelude and that would really be a good example of you know who you are as a person. It would be a niche for sure. Yeah. It it shows it, it's even more amplified, I think, with improvisatory music. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and I find that you know people that uh, have a hard time making eye contact, which I appreciate you being able to do here, uh, in a musical way, I find them hard to make eye contact. Mm. You know, to really mm. really feel and listen to each other. Mm-hmm. I also find that, you know, some people, they're working, it, it's uncomfortable, silence is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So to let space go by, I'll say, how are you? Or, you know, any, any moment to just let, let the, the time go by and let something, you know, the, the thought behind the thought behind the thought behind the thought come through instead mm-hmm. of just the default response. I'm fine, good, okay, I'll see you at the thing and okay, wrap it up and boom. Yeah. Do you have the the patience and the courage, really, to allow silence, which allows the real stuff to come in? Mm. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is entirely applicable to music, too. Mm-hmm. Silence you, is so uncomfortable. It is. And it, and it makes, I mean, I feel like I've, I've, I've struggled with that. You're, like, pinpointing all the things like that I never mm. identified myself. That's funny. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> No, and and I was you know, and I think it's it's even cultural too. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no judgment on either. I just, just things that I notice. But and, it's true. And, it's and so I'm working true. on it for myself too. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I look at anyone's closet, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and every space is filled up. You right. know, why is that? 
I mean, very rarely can anyone just leave an empty shelf. And when you when you don't have an empty shelf in your in yourself, <laughs> uh, you know, in your own own being, uh, you're not going to be able to let anything else in. It's also a contradictory thought too. Like I grapple mm-hmm. with that because I feel like you know everything everything is all right and so there's almost a concept that if everything is energy and it just exists then there's a finite amount of it <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just it just is mm-hmm. there's isness mm-hmm. yet i find in this particular realm we'll call it three dimensional realm mm-hmm. in this 3d human experience it's like a tupperware container and we can only handle so much energy mm-hmm at any given time. And so we keep that Tupperware full all the time with thoughts, with stuff, with whatever. And, and a great analogy is the closet. And, and sometimes it takes so much courage to actually take your hand in there and scoop out you know, what you no longer really need to hold on to, mm-hmm. take it out, and only then will you allow new energy to come in. Mm-hmm. Because it's the the container can only hold so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, can you let go of this? Can you let go of that? And a yeah. great exercise, actually, I've, I've ex- and I say this because I've experienced this myself. Like I will have uh, empty shelves in my closet mm-hmm. to see how that reflects into my life. Mm. Oh my gosh! Because it is your house, yeah, or your apartment. It's your immediate reality. Yeah, that's, that's, you have that's to let go of things that aren't serving you. It's so yeah. crucial. It's so crucial. Yeah. To the mental. Well, well, it keeps energy flowing, right? It, keeps, it does. Then you, then you get to experience new things, and then it just gets more exciting, and things, things that you want to bring into your life mm-hmm. can happen so much faster. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've always just found it fascinating that we, we only have a limited... I mean, we could sort of achieve... I mean, I'm sure monks have a different perception of the world than I do, but I, I just found it like... If if we're only existing a existing in a sort of limited perception of the universe, what is there? Is it possible, you know, to have like we're three dimensional beings? Like, what what is four dimensional? What does a four dimensional being look like? Mm-hmm. What does a five dimensional being look like? Are are they real? And is that even something that we'll ever be able to understand or even just like quantify and and test with science? <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, that's a deep dive into quantum <laughs> physics yeah. and quantum mechanics and uh, even, dare I say, spirituality. And, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I have an understanding that we're all uh, existing, we're all multidimensional beings. Mm-hmm. And we just uh, have access to what we have access to because, we, you know, sometimes we come here and we want to have this 3D experience. We don't want to yeah. remember the other stuff. We don't want to know about the 5D. We don't want to yeah. know about the 7D. We don't want to <laughs> know about the 11D. And we don't know want to... Maybe every once in a while we kind of touch into and feel into the, into, the, into the 4D. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's the agreement that we came in here to, ha- to have that experience. Yeah. And then other people... Uh, have direct access to all the dimensions so, so they can see themselves looking at themselves looking at themselves having the experience so it, it's all existing at the same time mm-hmm. you know and, and you know time is an illusion in that case yeah. in, in, in a certain dimension where time and space doesn't exist it's just all is yeah it's just all isness so you know we understand ourselves as 3d-ness mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know just 
it's like for me, I just know that there's all these other multi dimensions that I can tap into all mm-hmm. the time. I mean, what is that? You know, the let's call it. You know, the the more popular term would be the zone. What's the zone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. We go into the zone. That's another dimension. Mm-hmm. It's another dimension where where literally, I think most people have experienced timelessness. Yeah. Most people have experienced that sense of bliss where there's no space. Mm-hmm. You know, you you are not in this realm yet. You're very present, and you're in your body. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's another dimension. Wow. And and especially performing wow. that, I feel like that's something that's really interesting. How you could be in that place, and it's not a detriment. It's actually helping you sort of go with the flow of the music or the conversation, or simply just play what's natural. Which is it's weird to think about because it's not really a. It doesn't feel like, I mean, in society, that's not a what we call a normal mm. state of mind, even though that very much is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then it's great to question what's normal, right? Yeah. What's normal is just uh, what you're calling, uh, what you're seeing most commonly around you. And then if you were to transit and traverse, to sojourn to the 5D, into that bliss state, what's normal there? Normal looks different there, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, and that's something to really, really pay attention to because we're all uh, subject to entrainment. Very subject to Can that. Can you define what you mean by that? Well, like where you, you know, like uh, Dr. Hook, uh, Captain Hook, you know, where he's got all the, all the clocks mm-hmm. moving. Mm-hmm. And. If you leave all the analog clocks moving all, all of a sudden after a certain period of time, they will all start moving at the same rate in the same direction. Same thing with a metronome, right? An analog mm-hmm. metronome. I mean, that's a pretty wild mm-hmm. thing. Okay. So if you, it's really truly a frequency that you get caught in. Mm-hmm. And so if you are in a space and a community where everyone thinks exactly the same, or there's a, a vast majority where everyone thinks and acts and behaves the same way, you are subject to becoming part of that clock. Mm -hmm. And so it takes a lot of um, awareness to stay above that on a higher frequency to be able to see it or even below it to see it, Mm -hmm. you know, but if you're in it, you can't see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. How do you you achieve that, um, like the, the higher energy, the higher frequency, how do you do that? Like when you realize that you're in a space where that's happening, what do you do? What do you what do you mentally do? Well, the when I'm experiencing that, it's uh, it's usually slowing down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, practically, it's it's really working with the breath. Mm-hmm. You know, it's practicing. Um, you know, every every day for a long time now, I've understood that I have to. You know spend some time meditating, practicing, mm-hmm. and I have to spend some time working on my body, you know, exercising, doing yep. something. Yep. Otherwise, I can't handle the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So that that practice of the repetition of spending time s- just slowing everything down, mm-hmm. which ironically takes you to this higher vibrational place, mm-hmm. um, I know how to get there because I've practiced it so much. So mm-hmm. when I come across those situations... I know how you know to. Yourself, yeah. I know how to get to that frequency. It's like dialing a phone number. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah. where I need to go right now to right. to handle this. When, when did you really start getting into 
I mean, I, I mean, probably time for this last question, but mm. when what really got you into meditation, and, and like, did you how quickly did you start, you know, noticing it, like its effect on on you as a person and your ability to sort of detract and maybe not um, close yourself off, but just like you were saying, slow down from the clutter of of reality or the sort of the sort of the like blueprint for reality and, and sort of become your own become your own in your body is is the, the, the best way you can I'd say you know most consistently it's been about you know 10 12 years uh, you know since my daughter is 12 that's what I'm gauging oh. it on because when she she was born uh, like life changed and I didn't have the same kind of time anymore and I was had much many more responsibilities and and my day was you know more full than I ever thought before mm-hmm. and so I had to find some way to create the stamina and the mental state to be able to handle what I needed to handle during the day um and it's been you know the 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 deepening of that practice has been exponential of course mm-hmm. um so, you know, the things I, I started off doing, you know, more, you know, just like guided meditations and just trying, I mean, trying everything that I could find. Mm-hmm. And then that just leads you to the next thing, which leads you to the next thing, which leads you to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some part of your question, though, that made me think of something, and I can't remember what it is. C- can you frame that one more time? Because I'll probably <laughs> think about it. I think I was, I was just asking, like, how it made you a better or, like, how it sort of detracted from reality or like or maybe not detracted but sort of because for me meditation just seems like a more authentic version of yourself because you're able to step back from because most people probably almost all people who aren't really trained and not that I'm trained but it just seems like like me a lot of people including myself most of the day have a lot of like rumination and just you know clutter like we were saying so do you Mm -hmm. I think I was just like trying to ask about like how you know how that really like once you can step back from that like what that feeling is and and you know how that affects the music oh well it just brings you presence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it just brings you presence it's you know there's there's no end goal you know it's what i realized uh you know a long time ago is is uh kind of living every moment in by four different things. You know, one thing is really understanding feeling in the body and everywhere else outside of my body and my being gratitude. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm right here with the two of you and we get to have this conversation and we're secure. Everything's taken care of. We have everything we need when we need it. The gratitude of getting to have this conversation with you right now. Mm-hmm. Right now. Right now. Mm-hmm. We're having it right now. Mm-hmm. Like it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it right now. Gratitude <laughs> in every moment. And and then the other thing is having humility to know that we're all doing this together. It's not just me, you know, and 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 you know, lifting each other up and you know, like yeah, I won those Grammys, and then that was happened on Sunday, and then it's Monday, and you go back to work, and like yeah. we're all doing it together. And when somebody else wins the Grammys, it's like amazing because yes. they won for me, and I won for them, and you and know we're all one. We're all doing this together, and and offering this experience 
co-creating it together. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a healthy way to look at it. I and, love that. And, and the third thing is uh, integrity. You know, mm-hmm. also knowing in an individuated mm-hmm. state that you are here to have an experience and to offer something special that nobody else can offer because that's your individuated snowflake you have to offer to this world. And at your darkest, lowest moments when you're, you know, it's like in the movie, (laughs) you're on the dirty sidewalk and the truck has splashed you in the rain and you were (laughs) fired and, you know, your significant other left you and, you know, whatever is going on, even worse than that, you still know who you are. Mm-hmm. You still know that you're here for a reason, and it's and you're gonna get to see who you are by how you get up. Yeah, I, I think I was listening to Deepak Chopra, and he was talking about like how awareness is like probably the most important thing that we have as human beings because we can make decisions off of that, and we can experience the world off of that. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of sometimes it's you forget that your own awareness is actually what, what makes you like a beautiful person. Mm-hmm. But Can I ask a final question? What is it, what what uh, spot do you Spotify your Apple Music f- to listen to music? Oh, um, what is your I most do. recent t- listen to song? Would you Spotify listen mm-hmm. to's? Hold on, let me find mine. Oh goodness, I go through these phases where I like take deep dives and different artists. Yeah. Um, so most recently, I was checking out a bunch of Haidas uh, Coyote stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. Um, I was and and I actually was doing a deep dive into the old Steely Dan stuff. Yeah, I was really enjoying that. Yeah, and like how all those parts were put together and, mm-hmm. and all watching all the interviews from mm-hmm. the session musicians mm-hmm. and I went back to the Nightfly recently. Oh, the there. Nightfly is like my favorite Dr. record Morale of put all us time. Oh, yep. so good. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that 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 has been definitely on uh, on the phone a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Do you have any further questions? You know, let me let me just say one more thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There were four things, and the last thing yeah. with all so it was uh, gratitude, humility, integrity, and then all of that stuff is great. But the biggest, the most important thing about living that way and being present is having no expectation. Have intentions. You know, you want to go in that direction. You know where you're going. You have your vision. But how it unfolds in your life, you have to surrender. And it's like walking through this magical dream if you have no expectation about how mm-hmm. it's going to unfold. Yeah. And then it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. But understand the difference between intention and expectation, and that will bring you to a state of presence. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I feel like I'm a good example of that. I mean, not that, I mean, not that, like, not like one of your, all your songs I heard the other night were, were, were good. But I think Junkwagon specifically, just because it was so chaotic and it was, for me, it was just like a chase scene almost. <laughs> it, it, it very much put me like in the, it's like in the, the movie of that song. It was, mm. I thought it was really cool. That, oh, that for awesome. me, that, that felt like it was a very, I was very present with that mm-hmm. song. I felt like that song was unfolding as it happened. Mm-hmm. And I think that I was talking to people in the band and they said it, yeah, like the, every time we did that song was completely different. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how it should be. Mm. I goosebumps, goosebumps that whole concert. I was like, huh, you have such a good ambiance too. You have a good walk. Like you have a good energy. Like when I saw you walk up on stage, I was looking at one of our good friends, Willie Z, and he was like, oh my gosh, like 
you just you're you're so cool. We appreciate you. We're so we're so glad you came. <laughs> right on. You're pretty cool too. Thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you. I, I gotta get to. Uh, oh yeah, you're good. Of, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to keep talking. No, but, yeah, me too. Um, but yeah, that's that's. I guess not the last episode of this. Well, this right. is the second to last episode of Veil After Dark. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That was John, uh, Doctor John Diverso. Any last any last words? No, just thank you so much for uh, giving giving the providing the platform not just for me but everyone you've been uh, interviewing for this podcast. That's I know yeah. it's really important to hear you know these these thoughts and ideas from mm-hmm. from all of us as uh, as all as one. Yeah. So just gratitude, integrity, humility with no expectation. I love that. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Oh,